Hey, listen, one, one final just good morning or uh, almost afternoon. We're glad that you're here today. My name is Chris Fry. If you're a guest with us or maybe first time in a long time with us, we're, we're glad that you're here. And right now, honestly, right now, I am, I am releasing you from what I know comes up whenever a preacher gets on the platform and begins to talk about earthly treasure, finances, hashtag your money, okay? I'm just trying to help you today. Like, I get that. But let me give you this phrase as we go into this series called, This Is What We Do. I'm going to tell you in two weeks how we came up with this series, why we decided to name it this um, and, and why we decided to open the way that we did. Today, I want to talk to you about giving generously. In fact, let me give you this statement. We give generously to share the gospel graciously. Okay, We give generously as a church. And the objective of our generosity, we give generously to share the gospel graciously. Now, some of you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, great. I knew I should have slept in today. I get it. I have been there. I resonate. Well, for you, you're thinking I should have slept in longer today. I, I get it. I'm with you in regards to how this makes people feel. Specifically, if you've been praying about whether you should come to this church or answer the invite that you've been receiving and then you came in today and I met your expectation because the last time that you left church was because you felt like that church and that preacher and that place was just all about getting your money. I am resonating with you. I understand that that's what it sounds like sometimes. But I'm asking you today, if that's what you think, if that's how you feel, and we've all felt that way, to give us just the benefit of the doubt for the next 30 minutes, and open your ears to hear the heart behind this habit of generosity. See, we believe that what we do goes beyond the temporary. I legitimately believe that when I give and I'm generous, that what I'm giving towards in regards to the kingdom of God, I see the fruit of over and over and over again. And I've lost a lot of things in this life, but what I give to God, I never lose. I store for later. That this is the place where moth and rust destroy and where thieves come in and steal. But when I sow into God's hand, moth and rust do not have access. And when the thief is exposed, he is actually required by Scripture to pay back seven times what he tried to steal. That's the kingdom that I sow into. And that's the reason that I give generously and we practice generosity we're going to say this carefully, and again, please hear the whole statement before you resort to, I knew it, okay? Hear the whole statement. But I don't believe that we as a church are called to be a social service. In other words, the church does not exist to pay bills. 
The church does not exist to bail people out. The church does not exist to enable people to continue in a lifestyle of destruction and or bad stewardship. The church is not responsible for medications and rent. The church is not a social service. Okay, now wait, now listen, at the same time, okay, that's one end of the spectrum, but at the same time, I'm not saying that we should be stingy. In fact, I believe that we should be so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that when those opportunities arise, that we go to Him and discern, is this the place where you want me to be a blessing or is me giving actually a handout that is enabling? And you've got to ask God and designate the difference between the two. I personally, I am not, and some of you just hang in again, okay? I'm not, I don't have, some of you have the gift of helps, like it's in you. I don't have it. God skipped me on that one. Like he handed it to my wife and the people around me, but he was like, yeah, you'll get something else. Okay, <laughs> and I, I, am, I am not, hear me, I am not a humanitarian. Like the objective of my life is not to make a better world for better people. That is not what I'm doing. It's not my calling. Like the whole Michael Jackson song, Heal the World, and then the beautiful little choir orchestra song that he sang during Free Willy. I was like, oh, that's cute. Let's eat the whale. I mean, that's just, I'm, I don't, that's just not how I am. Like, I'm just not that way. Like, I don't unite two nations and sing a song about we are the world, we are the children. That's just not my job. It's just, I'm not a humanitarian, okay? I'm not against that. I'm not against a better world and better people. That's not what I'm, I'm not against it, but that's not my, the, the reason for my existence. See, the reason for my existence is evangelism. I am an evangelist that is equipped with the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. See, heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God is living and active and breathing and it shall never cease. The world and its desires are perishing but the will of God will last into eternity so at times I may not give you silver and gold but what I do have that lasts beyond the temporary I will willingly generously hand over to you at any point at any time for anything I'm not a humanitarian I'm an evangelist but I don't excuse myself from servanthood just because I say that I'm filled with the Spirit. See, my serve is a response to my salvation. My serve does not let me receive salvation. It's a response to my salvation. My generosity is a response to the fact that God so loved that He gave so I give generously. We as a church, we give generously to share the gospel graciously. In other words, servanthood is a response, but it also purchases us the opportunity to share. And when God says give, we give. We give generously. We bless because we are blessed. This is what we do. This is what we do. It's not something else that we do. It's just a part of who we are. In order for me to fully have a complete and fulfilled, 
appreciation, of generosity and blessing. In order for me to understand blessing, I need to personally acknowledge the curse. So today I'm going to talk to you about the curse of Cain, the obedience of Abel, and the blessing of Abraham. In Genesis chapter 4, we see the curse of Cain. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard. That word I will explain quick in just a moment. But the Lord had regard. It means that the Lord looked favorably. The Lord gazed upon Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. In other words, he didn't look upon it favorably. He did not gaze upon it. And so because Cain could sense that God was not gazing upon his offering, and he was gazing upon somebody else's offering, he was very offended. He was very angry. And his face fell. All right, so there's been a lot of messages on this passage. In fact, I've preached many. One of the things that I've heard preached on this passage is the designation in the difference between a grain offering and an offering of livestock which would require blood. One of them was dirt, that was the absence of life, and one of, the, and one of them was living, which included blood. Okay? And, and I've heard that designated as the difference between the two offerings. And I'm sure theologically, that there is a message tied to the offering of blood in this passage. I do believe, okay, that by His blood we have redemption, that God has freed us from our sins by His blood, that without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin, okay? I, I'm for the fact that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm not negating the blood in this passage, but I'm not sure that that is the designated difference between these two individuals' offerings. In fact, I don't believe that God looks favorably, favorably upon your offering dependent upon what you do for a living. I, I just can't see God saying, okay, because I've designated you to a farmer and you to a shepherd, I love you and your offering more than I love you and your offering. In fact, I see a completely different designation for why God looked with favor upon Abel and why God had no regard for Cain and his offering. And I, I see the answer in verse 3. When the Bible says, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering. In other words, after he had done everything that he needed to do, paid all of his bills covered his insurance, his housing, and all the things that he wanted in the course of time, after everything else was taken care of, Cain remembered, oh, I need to also bring God, not the first, but a part. I, I need to bring God an offering. But Abel, in fact, one version says, while Abel, 
So Cain brought an offering after a period of time while Abel. In other words, I could even designate that for me that Cain saw Abel given an offering and remembered, oh yeah, I'm supposed to do that. So he threw God a tip in the bucket as well. But Abel, the Bible says, gave of the firstborn. So he gave in priority of the best. He gave first of the first. And just to make sure that God, that God knew how grateful he was for everything that God had given him. And he gave of the fat portions. See, I don't believe that the designation is in what they gave or whether they gave, but in when, in what, and in how. See, God sees the heart behind the habit, even when we try to cover the heart with the habit. We continue in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, hey, buddy, <laughs> why are you so mad? Why are you so mad? Why is your face falling? Yeah. <laughs> that was in your interpretation. Anyways, uh, why is your face falling? God says in verse 7, listen, if you're obedient, if, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, in other words, if you're not obedient, then sin is crouching at your door. In other words, here's what God is saying. When you're obedient and you prioritize properly, then I'm in control. But when you're disobedient and you just include me in the process and I'm not your priority, then whatever you've given priority to is in control. I was the one that was at the door, but now sin is at the door. And the difference was not my will for you. The difference was your obedience to my will for you. Now sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The difference in this ruling over you and you ruling over it was in your obedience to God. That's what he's telling Cain in this passage. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is, your, where is Abel, your brother? And Cain did something extremely ignorant. He got sarcastic with his daddy, which is never recommended, ever. Uh, our children have made the mistake of being sarcastic with me or their mother in front of me. They don't repeat that mistake very often. In fact, they're so familiar with not making that mistake that when we're in public and one of their friends is sarcastic with me or their mother, they expect me to respond the same way to their friend as I responded to them. Like if they hear their friend talk back to the authority figure in the moment and I'm standing there, they like, they're like, they look at me, they look at their friend, they're like, oh, you're about to get it, dude. You don't even know. But, but I can't do to them what I've done to my children in order to teach them the same lesson. So I just recommend that they go back to their parents, you know, and let, I let them deal with that. Cain was sarcastic and rebellious and offended in a moment 
So his response is in line with his recognition of who he saw God as. So when God said, hey, where is Abel your brother? Cain said in sarcasm, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God said, boy, no, no, God didn't say that actually. (laughs) And God says to him, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Did you know that blood has a voice? That when I believe, when I give, and we sow into the kingdom of God generously, and God takes what we've given, and He uses it for the sanctification and the salvation of souls and a harvest that goes way beyond what this world has to offer, that the blood of Jesus cries out on behalf of those which the offering is purchasing. But every time that I become greedy, every time that I hold back my offering and therefore prolong the vision instead of providing for the vision, I believe that if I'm not careful, then the blood of those who could have been reached will call out to God because I decided not to give, just like Cain. The blood of your brother calls out to me, from the ground. And verse 11 says, Now you are cursed by God most high. It's not what it says. It doesn't say that the curse came from God. It says, Now you're cursed from the ground. In other words, I'm not cursing you. I'm pronouncing the curse that you have brought upon yourself because of your disobedience. Because of your lack of prioritizing me, now this thing has priority over you. And the ground has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Is it an interesting that the first murder ever created in the history of humanity was out of offense over disobedience to giving? The first murder... In other words, the first person left the kingdom of God through murder over the offense of disobedience in regard to giving. In fact, it wasn't even whether he gave. It was actually when and what he gave. Do you know why we have a tendency to get so offended when a preacher begins to discuss our time? and our talent, and our treasure. Some of it is because blessing and prosperity has been given a bad name by bad preachers. But the rest of it is because irritation and offense, specifically in regards to tithes, offerings, and giving, is actually inherently in our DNA. That's why we so easily get offended whenever people begin to talk about money in a church service. It's why I, whenever I pay for a conference and I go to that conference and I'm excited to be at that conference before the first speaker even comes up, the leader of the conference that I paid for gets on the platform and asks me to give in an offering. I immediately get irritated. Why? Because God wants me to be annoyed by the opportunity to sow into a ministry that that pastor is about to present me an opportunity to sow into? No. 
Because it's in my DNA. Because if I'm not careful, I find more fulfillment in what I have than in who gave it to me. I was, <laughs> this is a third service only because it happened between services. I'm just putting myself on your level. And some of you are like, whoa, really? He's not a humanitarian? Oh, man, well, he doesn't have the gift of helps. I know, right? Like, I can't believe he's my pastor. Me either. Because <laughs> God did this. I didn't do this. This wasn't my plan, okay? This is what God's doing. I was, I was in the restroom without going into detail, and we're all adults, okay? We all use the restroom, right? No big deal. I was in the restroom, and uh, I was using the restroom because that's what you do when you go to the restroom. And, uh, and this child, this little boy comes in from children's church. So that He had a leader with him right outside the door. And he comes in and he looks. He's like. And he goes into the stall and he closes the door. And I hear him and he goes. I've never seen a pastor going to the bathroom. <laughs> like, well. There's a first time for everything, right? This is the day of salvation for you. <laughs> I didn't even know how to respond to that. I mean, I did what you did. I just busted out laughing. <laughs> and I thought, man, sometimes you guys do the same thing to me. As if we don't struggle with the same things that you're struggling with. Like, this stuff is just as difficult for us as it is for you. Most of the time, we're preaching our own conviction. And we just figured, man, if God's going to make us eat it, we at least going to share it with somebody. Okay, that's what, what we're doing. This is what we do. We give generously. We give generously. And, and it starts with the tithe. We're not offended by it. Even when we are, we make sure that we're not. Why? Because verse 16 of the very first time that someone is discussing an offering in Scripture says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, not because he committed murder, but because he was offended over giving. Cain was separated from the presence of God over his greed and his offense in regards to giving. He wasn't generous. He had no gratitude. He was greedy. Listen, hear me. I believe this personally. If we are not, when we are not, for giving, we end up not forgiving. In fact, we end up not forgiven because Jesus said clearly, if you forgive, then my heavenly Father forgives you. But when we're not for giving, there's something going on in our soul that needs to be examined. But gratitude will expand itself. There's so many scriptures on praising God, thanksgiving before God, coming before God in gratitude and praise and thanksgiving with an offering. There's so many because gratitude will extend itself into every area of your life. But unfortunately, so will greed. Greed will have its way in you. And when you're greedy in one area, it begins to expose itself in other areas. See, gratitude will expose itself and expand itself. 
And gratitude is generous. Gratitude forgives. Gratitude is gracious and merciful. Gratitude is obedient. Like a son or a daughter unto a holy father. It's obedient. But greed is the antithesis of gratitude. Where gratitude was generous, greed is stingy. Where gratitude was forgiving, greed grows bitter. Where gratitude is gracious, greed gets even. Where gratitude is obedient, greed is offended. And that offense begins to expose itself in all kinds of inappropriate activity. But I want you to notice this morning the contrast between the curse of Cain that he, by the way, brought upon himself, coming back to that, and the obedience of Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, NIV. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, And Abel also brought an offering, the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. The Hebrew word here for looked with favor is S-H-A-A-H. In Hebrew, you would pronounce it Sha'ah. In Cajun, you would pronounce it Shah. Okay? I said Shah earlier, Shah earlier, and they were like, Ha! Goofy North Louisiana doesn't know how to say Shah. <laughs> we also don't know how to say Chico, but it's okay. You know what we're talking about. It's there. You interpret for yourself. God has given you a gift you didn't even know you had. God will, the, the word literally means to gaze upon. To gaze upon. It's best illustrated in a story I actually saw earlier this week. There's a video on it. You can go look it up. Um, you can Google it, YouTube it. It's all over the place. There's millions of views on this video. It's a video of a stepfather and his stepdaughter. She's 15, 16 years old, um, which is always a miracle when a 15, 16 year old does something right. Okay, see, uh, no offense, okay, if you're in that age group. I was worse than you, I promise. She gives her stepfather a gift. And this girl, this is a girl after my own heart because she wraps the gift in newspaper. Come on, somebody like, when you're out of newspaper, when you're out of uh, present wrapping, whatever that stuff is called, you just go to the driveway, pick up the plastic bag, open it up, there it is, free from the government. All right, anyway, so you just wrap it up in advertisements because that's your gift to that person. And you wrap a bow around it, add a little beauty to it, and he's unwrapping his present and he unwraps it and he begins, it starts at the top and it's this beautiful frame with this this presentation mat behind it and on the mat within the frame are all these little sticky notes and the story in the in the if you watch the whole video the story is that he had just several years earlier when she was even younger she, he had written her little sticky notes as her stepfather which is a beautiful picture of God adopting us into his kingdom like uh, he loved us uh, even though he didn't have to right he's a he's an adopted father that took us in uh, on his own and this stepfather did this for this little girl and, and he would write her notes of you know just encouragement I love you God bless you etc 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 have a great day you're gonna do amazing and she had kept them for years she kept every single you have no idea how powerful your words are 
to the next generation. Like you can literally build up or break down with a sticky note. It's unbelievable. You know what? The enemy knows that. And when we're not careful, he uses it against them instead of in favor for them. But he used it the right way and she kept every note. And she put those notes on that uh, frame, on the mat of that frame. And right there in the middle was a picture of the stepfather and the girl as a little girl. He was holding her in his lap and she was like doing something. They were smiling together. And this stepfather is looking at this picture. And this burly, bearded, manly man. I do not color my beard just for the I just wanted to make sure it's set that yet. I do not yet color. I will. I'm not above it. <laughs> He's looking at this, this picture that his stepdaughter and he is sha'ah over this picture. He, he's looking with favor. He is gazing upon the offering of his child that was given in response to the blessing. The gift did not bring the blessing. The blessing was a response. The gift was a response to the blessing that had already been given. He gazed upon this picture. And she gave, and the father was pleased. That is what we see in the obedience of Abel, a response to everything that God had done and everything that God had given. And Abel easily obeyed out of response. Abel easily served out of response. Abel was generous because he was gracious, and he gave. I want you to notice and, and by the way, I do believe in the law, biblical law of sowing and reaping. And I believe that if we're not careful, especially in regards to money and finances and tithing and, and sowing and giving, if we're not careful because there's been so much bad prosperity preaching, that sometimes, if we're not careful, we can forget to give God praise when he does reveal himself that way. See, what I love about the story that we opened up with is that that person genuinely got nothing from us because she was faithful to him. She was not giving you an interpretation of a hermeneutical breakdown from the passage of Malachi in regards to the tithe. She was sharing her story and giving God praise. I didn't give to get anything. But when I gave, God revealed himself this way. But can I just say that what's best for somebody else is not always what's best for you? And Abel didn't get a check in the mail. Abel didn't get a promise and prosperity. In fact, Abel's offering cost him his life. Chris, you don't understand. Man, if if, if, I, if I did this generosity thing, I'd have to change everything. Chris, if I began to serve on a Sunday, I mean, I'd, I'd have to show up earlier and stay later. And I'm just barely making it by like 1140 right now. It's like, Chris, if, if I began to co-lead or to host a small group, I would have to get out of my comfort zone. Chris, if I began to tithe... The first dime of every dollar, which when you put it that way, doesn't seem like that big of a deal. 
But when you start saying the first thousand of every ten, then all of a sudden it seems like a big check because we look at numbers and not percentages. Chris, if I were to begin to tithe and sow and give generously, I would have to reprioritize my entire budget, probably my whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point your Christianity is going to call for you to reprioritize your entire life. And for some of us, it will begin with our budget. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. And when you don't prioritize God, whatever you do prioritize rules over the rest. But when you're obedient and you begin to practice generosity, when you look at life as if it had been given to you, not because you think you earned it. We have this saying on our staff. We'll begin to discuss whether we should have a fourth service. Uh, We begin to discuss whether we should have a candlelight Christmas Eve because most of our staff does not live here. And so what we're doing is we're choosing God's family over our own if we're here on Christmas Eve instead of with our immediate family. And we're beginning to, man, should, should we just have one? Should we just have one service? I mean, we've got 600 plus people coming right now. If they all show up for the candlelight, we'll have to like open the doors and bust out a wall. So shouldn't we have two? And the phrase, when we begin to discuss these things, we're all like, oh, my Lord Jesus, what is he, what are you doing? <laughs> we will literally say out loud, I don't want to. Let's do it. <laughs> we, but like, our staff members, I've said it. I don't, oh man, I don't want to do that. Let's do it. This is going to be incredibly great. Let's have an event in the pouring down rain and see if anybody shows up. Oh my Lord, where'd all these people come from? You mean to tell me, like, I don't want to. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. What if we, as a church, caught that spirit of generosity. And and when we didn't want to do something, we just used that as inspiration to follow through with it. Like the things we know we're supposed to do and we don't want to do them. Well, my heart's not right. I may as well not do it. No, that's double sin. (laughs) In fact, your feelings will follow your faith. If you'll stop putting them first. Because right now they're ruling over you. In regards to whatever area of your life that it's in. But when you are obedient as Abel was obedient. You begin to rule over what God created you to have dominion over. And you begin to walk finally in the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of Abraham. Genesis chapter 14 verse 18 I'm back in the English Standard Version of the Scripture. It says, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was of God, a priest of God Most High. Okay, wait, was he the king of Salem? Or was he a priest of God? Was he a king or a priest? And the answer is yes. He was king and priest. Just like I told you last week. That the Apostle John and Peter said that we were when we're in Christ. 
both king and priest. Can you see the imagery in this passage that Melchizedek was king and priest? And in the New Testament, Jesus was king of kings and priest most high. Highest. Melchizedek brought out the wine. Verse 19, and he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, and who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now I have a question. If Melchizedek would not have blessed God, would God have still been blessed? Yes. That was not rhetorical. I was wanting you to see that with me this morning. So if Melchizedek blessed Abram, and then he blessed God, and God did not need him in order to operate in the blessing, he was the blessing. And in this passage, Abram is put in the same place in the same blessing. If God did not need Melchizedek's blessing to be blessed, then Abram didn't need Melchizedek's blessing to be blessed. The Bible says that when Melchizedek pronounced that blessing over Abram, Abram's response to the blessing was that he gave a tenth of every that he had. In other words, the tithe didn't bring the blessing. The blessing brought the... In other words, the generosity was a response to the blessing. See, listen to me. God did not curse Cain. Cain cursed himself. The ground now ruled over Cain. The job now ruled over Cain. The finances and the production, the fruitfulness of his effort, that now ruled over Cain. And God pronounced the curse that Cain brought upon himself, just like God had done to his daddy and mama in the Garden of Eden. See, a lot of people think, oh, God, God, cursed, God cursed Adam and the woman. No, 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 no. God pronounced the curse that Adam and the woman brought upon themselves through disobedience. See, you don't give to get blessed. You give because you are blessed. You give out of a response to recognizing. Melchizedek did not pronounce a blessing. God had already pronounced the blessing. He said, I created you in my image and likeness. You're blessed. What Melchizedek did was remind Abram that God had already said he was blessed. And when Abram was reminded of the blessing by which he was created for, it caused a generosity to come out of him as a response to the blessing. It caused a serve to come out of Abram that was a response to his salvation. And we still remain in that same principle today. He gave. God is not cursing you and your finances. God is not cursing your relationships. Our selfishness curses our relationships with other people. God is not cursing our health. Our gluttony curses our... Now, I know that's not the only reason we're not healthy, but hey, listen. You, you are what you eat. That's why I got a donut right here. I'm letting you... It's, it's why it's there. God is not cursing your marriage. God is not cursing your love life. Impurity is cursing your love life. The lack of investment is cursing your marriage. 
God is not cursing your finances. Greed and overspending is cursing your finances. God is not cursing your happiness. Your anger is cursing your happiness. Your offense is cursing your forgiveness. God says you are this. But when you forget to be generous, you allow the ground to rule over you. You allow the creation to rule over you instead of the Creator. When He's not our priority, He doesn't rule. But when He is, He becomes the one that set everything else into order. We get out of the curse of Cain and we walk into the blessing of Abraham. We stand in retrospect like we've seen this happen. Abraham had to believe for this to happen. Abraham gave, not because he had seen it before or because he heard somebody else's testimony or another preacher finally convinced him. Abraham gave in faith. And the Bible says that his faith was counted unto him as righteousness. This was part of his faith. This was part of his relationship with Jesus. His generosity was part of his relationship. In Hebrews chapter 7 verse Four, the Bible says, New Living Translation, not because it says anything that I wanted to show you, but just because it's easy to read and understand. It says, Consider then how great this Melchizedek was, king and priest. Consider how great he was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Verse 15, this change has been made very clear since a different priest who is like Melchizedek has appeared. Jesus became a priest not by meeting the physical, not by meeting the temporary, requirement of belonging to a tribe of Levi, but by the power of a life that cannot be destroyed. That's why the psalmist pointed this out when he prophesied, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Guys, this hasn't changed. Yes, the ultimate price for our salvation was paid by Jesus, and it's only in him that my works, my generosity, my giving can accomplish anything eternal. In other words, my salvation is not an expression of my works. My works are an expression of my salvation. Everything that I do is out of overflow of everything that He's already done. And I give and I give generously because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So when I give, I'm not just giving to obey the law. I'm giving to fulfill the law, just like Jesus did. When I give and I become generous with my time, my talent, my treasure, when I serve and I lead and I show up early and I stay late and I give a tithe, just the beginning of what God requires. And then I learn how to give it an offering. And then I learn how to operate in the gift of giving. And I'm giving so extravagantly that people around me don't even understand how or why I'm giving so much, but I'm sowing it into the the kingdom of God where a thief can't come in and moth and rust can't destroy and I will see the fruit of it later I'm not just giving to Jesus I'm becoming like him he gave so I give it's who he is it's not just what he did and when I give I am aligning myself in the order of Melchizedek king 
and priest. When I give generously to share the gospel graciously, I am aligning myself as an heir to the promise of Abraham. When I give generously, I am aligning myself as a joint heir with Jesus. This thing isn't about money. I'm not preaching this message because we're in a bind. I'm sharing with you my conviction that I would personally be afraid not to operate in. It took me a while. It took some messages. It took the Holy Spirit. It took some practice. Without any apologies today, I'm going to say, if you've been here and you call this church home and it's been more than a year, I'm calling you out. Maybe I'm calling you back. But if you call this church home, especially if you've been here for more than a year, if you're not serving on a dream team, it's time. It's time. Like next steps today. Let's do this thing. If you're not in a small group, hosting a small group, co-leading or leading a small group, and you've been here for a year, it's time. If you're watching other people serve and lead, you're watching other people find their freedom, discover their purpose, and impact eternity for the sake of the kingdom of God in somebody else's soul. If you're watching other people spend and be spent, as Paul referred, for the sake of souls, guys, look, it's time. It is time. We're all in this together. And I know there are times I don't want to. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's win this city. Let's restore your family. Let's redeem what the enemy meant for evil. Let's take back what the enemy wanted to rob from us. Let's be generous and gracious and forgiving. If you've been here for more than a year, and you're not giving God the first dime of every dollar, we call it the tithe. Guys, it's time. Because I'm convicted personally that Scripture is still just as applicable today as the day that it was written. And that when we withhold, whether according to Genesis, Malachi, Matthew, or Paul, when we withhold, our priorities get out of line. And what we were meant to rule over begins to rule over us. The mighty dollar. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. But you can break the curse of Cain off of your life by being obedient as Abel and walking in the blessing of God even if it costs you your life. I can promise you it will be worth it. Chris, I'd have to change everything. Yeah, but God, He's going to mess you up when you begin to let Him rule in your life. He's going to take the temporary and use them to affect the eternal. I'm going to say this last thing and we're going to pray. 
if you're not saved, like if you've not received salvation, if you've drifted away from God, I didn't preach this message so that we can now receive an offering. We're not doing it. You can give online if you want to. It's between you and Jesus. Come back next week and practice this principle. But if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, I don't believe that he gives a rip about your wallet. But he is longing for your heart. Because he knows that if he can change your heart, then your habits will follow. He doesn't care about your tithe. He cares about you. And he wants you today to receive what he gave. His only begotten son. That when you believe and you receive, you inherit eternal life. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me, Father?